0: Welcome to the Filmmaker Mixer Podcast. I'm Jeff, and my cohort Andrew is on the road today traveling back to Chicago from Austin, so he won't be with us on this particular episode. Today we are chatting with David Finkel from the Austin Jewish Film Festival. They've been going strong for over 20 years, and David's got some great advice on how you can make your film stand apart during the film festival submission process. Hello, everybody. This is the Filmmaker Mixer podcast, and today we are chatting with David Finkel. David is the director at the Austin Jewish Film Festival, and man, they've been going strong for over 20 years. I think this is uh, year 21 for them. They screen a lot of great films. Um, I'm excited to chat with David about the festival. So, David, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. So, as I mentioned, uh, the festival's been around for over 20 uh, 20 years. This is year 21. is Is that correct? That's right. We're old enough to drink. (laughs) yeah that's a good way to look at it so let's start with this um what was the origin of the festival how did it start how did it how did it come to be
1: well in the days when the world was black and white and dinosaurs roamed the earth uh, before (laughs) my time with the festival um a gentleman named dr david goldblatt who is still on our board came to some other people and actually uh i believe it was Uh, somebody from another community that said hey you should have a Jewish film festival in Austin and David ended up going to a couple of other Jewish film festivals and he kicked off if I remember correctly it was I think it was like four films that first year in conjunction with one of the local synagogues and um, basically that has mushroomed to today where we have Oh, I don't know. Including shorts, I think we're forty films this year. We have oh, wow. filmmakers coming from all over the world. We have films from all over the world. We're we're fortunate to have uh, great sponsors and community
0: support. So yeah, I mean that's that's the uh, the story in a nutshell. And how did you get involved? Were you involved from the beginning? You came on later, I believe, right? Or
1: yeah, that's actually kind of a funny story. I am um, a techno weenie kind of guy, and and, <laughs> a, and and I'm a problem solver. And we were at the theater, <clears throat> and we were watching a film. And every festival director's worst nightmare: the film stops. Oh, and wow. I see David, who is then the uh, the festival director, get up with a very worried look on his face and walk towards the back of the theater. I said, "Well, do you need any help?" He says, "I don't know. I don't know." And so <laughs> I I uh, basically coattailed him as he went up into the uh, projection booth, which. Uh, it reminds me of like the Wizard of Oz sort of going behind the curtain, the magic all sort of disappears. And there's a guy there who is the projection is very frantically going, I don't know why it stopped, it won't work, it won't work. And I'd never seen this gear before. And I looked at it and said, well, what would happen if you plug this cable into there? And they all stopped and looked at it. I don't know. They plugged it in, everything started working again. And so the next year, David said, hey, you know, you seem to be a step in the right direction. How would you like to be our projectionist? So I said, well, you know, uh, I'm a techno guy, but uh, I haven't been a projectionist before, but I'd love to do it and love to learn. And as I started doing it, going like, wait a second, why are you doing, you know, you're hiring all this equipment that you don't really need, you know, you only have it for one film. And I started making technical innovations and um, that led to, you know, we started doing um, Zoom-based interviews uh, well before, uh, most other festivals. Uh, and there's just, just, you may think that's very simple today, but, um, there was no network that we could use at the theater and, uh, 5G hotspots had not yet been invented. So anyway, I started bringing some technical innovations in and then David and the then co-chair decided that they, it was time to sort of step back a bit. And, um, another person I stepped forward as co-chairs or co-directors of the festival, And then eventually she decided that she would like to take a step back. She's still actually on our festival committee. And I became a solo director about five years ago. Uh, And then about a year or two after I started, the theater that we were at at the time uh, switched over to doing DCP. Mm -hmm. And this was in the days when most people couldn't spell DCP. Right. And um, as it happens I mean, my background, being in the high tech area, came in handy. And I, I was actually in the theater helping them with some of that cut over, doing testing. And um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, we, we transitioned to digital fairly soon after I took over. And ever since then, almost everything that we show is either a DCP, although our current facility is not DCP equipped, or it is a uh, computer file, you know, ProRes or, or MP4.
0: The films you showcase at the festival, what criteria do you use in your selection right. process?
1: No, that's a very good question. I mean, um, you know, we're a Jewish film festival, so what does that mean? There's, there's not one consistent definition of that. And um, if you're a filmmaker, I think it's important to talk to festivals and understand what their criteria is. Ours is fairly simple. It is that the films have to have Jewish content or characters. So, for example, a film made by Steven Spielberg in and of itself is not, you know, doesn't meet our criteria or one that has a Jewish actor in it. Um, but the story has nothing to do with the Jewish experience. But, you know, something like the Fablemans does because it it is a, you know, it's a, a story of a Jewish family growing up. That is a fairly Loose criteria, there are a lot of things that Jews care about, for example, um, there's a Jewish value called Tikkun Olam, which means repairing the world. And that covers all sorts of things like environmentalism, um, food insecurity, all sorts of things. And so there are films sometimes that don't have overt Jewish content that we might include because it is of uh, interest or, or, or aligns with the Jewish experience. I think the other thing so important to understand is that we're a Jewish film festival because our content contains Jewish or Israeli stories, not because we card anybody on the way. And in. in fact, um, probably about a quarter or more of our audience is non-Jewish or identifies as non-Jewish. And the stories that we have are really universal. So, I mean, an example of this is, I think when you watch some of the films that are about the Jewish experience during, you know, before, during and after the Second World War and, and refugee experiences... It's certainly not the exact same story, but there's a lot to be learned that uh, applies to people in the Ukraine today, as well as places like uh, Syria, Afghanistan and so forth. And um, so the stories are really universal and um, are I think you're sort of going down the the lines of like, how do we how do we select our films?
0: Right, right, right.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting thing. And the, the way I would describe this is sort of imagine a giant funnel. Each year, there are lots and lots of films that get produced. Of those, um, a fairly significant number of them have some sort of connection to the Jewish or Israeli experiences I just mentioned. We find those films a number of different ways. Um, One is we have some major distributors that sort of specialize in this marketplace, and we, we watch their catalog. We also have great relationships with other Jewish film festivals, not just in the United States, but around the world, and we share information with each other. Um, We work, you know, filmmakers that we work in the past have new films they they bring to our attention. We're on Film Freeway and people submit stuff to that. I also attend a couple of film festivals, most notably the Berlin Film Festival with the European Film Market, which is the major market for the release of European and Israeli films. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, you know, how we sort of put things in the top of the funnel. And we log all that information, we have a screening committee that we try to have every film where possible watched by at least a couple of people. And if they all think it's pretty decent, it will then get elevated to our core committee where we will consider the film. If, if our screening committee kind of pretty unanimously go, no, this doesn't work for one reason or another, we, we wouldn't take it any further. Uh, but once it gets into that what we would call yes category, that's being considered by our programming um, committee, which is uh, headed up by me, it means that that we think that film is good enough to show. There are still too many films in that yes category for us to exhibit everything, so we are pretty selective about what we show. We we program then to have a variety of different films, different formats, different genres different countries, different languages, um, uh, just basically as wide a variety as we can. And then, of course, that leaves a lot of things on the the table that we don't show in the festival. That's one of the reasons why in 2020 I launched something called AGFF 365, which is our year-round programming. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that brings with it a couple of different things. For one thing, it gives us almost double the capacity of films that we can show. So we can show a lot more of the films each year, because the problem is the next year, there's a new batch of great <laughs> films. And so, you know, it's difficult to to go back, you know, the, to the previous year. We go, well, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of, of, of great new stuff that we want to we want to show. Um, but it also enables us to take advantage of opportunities either to thematically link something. A good example of this is we did a showing last year of a film for International Holocaust Remembrance Day in January. And it was a film about classical music. So we partnered with KMFA. And so we were able to do a timely program that, that that made sense there. And then also, you know, sometimes there are filmmakers that may be on a tour of the United States, international filmmakers. And, you know, if they, in the past, if they came in July and our festival is in November, well, it doesn't really do us much good. But with this AGFF 365, we can potentially schedule a program to take advantage of that
0: that's interesting I'm also curious um have you witnessed any change in the type of submissions that come in um like you know narrative themes in recent years or you know um more young independent filmmakers have you seen any trends over the years as as, as the submissions come in um anything new going on
1: it, it it's hard to trace a specific through line to to trends um what I will say is this is an incredibly rich um, field. We we are fortunate that we have so many great films to choose from. Um, I think there's a couple of things that we see every year. We see a lot of films about the experience during the second world war, um, uh, particularly narrative films. We have a lot of films that deal with the Holocaust and with its aftermath including things like generational trauma. Um, We also see a lot of uh, creative Israeli films, dramas, comedies, um, everything in between. Um, I think that, uh, you know, one area that's sort of interesting is horror, because classically, there aren't a lot of Jewish horror films. Uh, and I and I've thought about this uh, quite a bit. I mean, you know, there are some things like the Golem um, and so forth, or some classic films. But but one of the challenges is a lot of uh, horror tropes sail very close to anti-Semitic tropes. So an example of that is you know Dracula and extracting blood and the idea of the blood libel uh, that was was uh, Jews were accused of, or the fact that um, the idea of Kabbalah mysticism being a sort of substitute for Jews controlling the world, if you will, um, you know, some of these things can unfortunately be, be very mishandled. But there's been in, in recent years a number of horror films made by Jewish filmmakers, sometimes even Orthodox Jewish filmmakers, and that's kind of become its own subgenre. It's not one that our, our audience is uh, is necessarily the ideal fit for, but I've seen my fair share of that in the last couple of years. So I think that the answer is that, you know, you can be creative and do anything you want. I mean, this year in our festival, we have, you know, some films that are incredibly creative that we don't we either haven't seen before or um, uh, they're pretty rare. I mean, two two quick examples from a filmmaking standpoint is one is a musical comedy, um, which is sort of a long, It's called Less Than Kosher, and it's along the lines <laughs> of a a young woman who had sort of fallen out of her religious community and sort of boomerang back into that because she has to live with her her parents. And she sort of has this out-of-body experience during services that her mother drags her to. And that out-of-body experience on screen basically morphs into a music video. And this <laughs> happens a number of times throughout the, the the content. And the creator and actor singer is actually coming to our festival. Her name is Shana Baird-Silver. She's coming from Canada. And in talking to her, she said, yeah, no, I've done a lot of music videos. And that was sort of, uh, our, our point of reference so that they very creatively jump between sort of regular narrative if you will comedy narrative and the sort of music videos and she's an amazing voice. I mean another one that I think is very creative is a film called Shtetl, S-H-T-T-L. Uh, Shtetl was a village in eastern Europe that um, that life was pretty much destroyed uh, during the second world war. This the title is interesting because they, they, there's no E in it which there would be in the word Shtetl and they did that in reference to something that a French author, I believe, did. He wrote an entire book without using the letter E oh, wow. as a sort of metaphor for missing the, you know, all the people that were missing because they, you know, were killed or were never born because of what happened in the Holocaust. Anyway, this film Shtetl was filmed in the Ukraine. They created a film set as a shtetl and the intent was for that to become a living museum. Uh, the war happened shortly afterwards, um, but they're hoping at some point that this will still open as a living museum. The film's in almost entirely in black and white. It's in Yiddish, and it is shot as if it's a single shot. Oh, wow. So even though the time frame is longer, it's shot, you know, there is, there is no break with the camera. So, and we have the lead actor, Moshe Lobel, who's going to be coming to our festival to introduce the film and do a Q&A. So, you know, those are examples of, Even with, you know, sometimes you get completely new genres from us. And then sometimes you take a form of film that we've seen a lot of, but it's treated in an incredibly creative way and it's very fresh.
0: Yeah, It's interesting because I think with all of the access to content, you know, we've got TikTok, short form video, you've got YouTube, you've got, you know, I, I almost think there's a trend toward mashing up a lot of different styles where maybe there was a time that would be harder for an audience to take, but we're so used to seeing so many different things. Like you said, you know this this one film that you know launches into a musical. i I think there's a bit of a bit of a trend where filmmakers are kind of mashing things up together, not just in story but in filmmaking technique, which is interesting to me.
1: yeah, um, I, you know my my core criteria for choosing a film. You know, I, you may or may not have kind of figured out I'm a kind of an analytical guy. So, um, you know, taking a step back, I think ultimately the core decision when as to whether we're going to choose to show a film or not boils down to two things. Is it a good story? Is it well told? And the is it a good story is the most important part. So, for example, with the documentary, you know, sometimes people for one reason or another shoot, you know, the documentary on an iPhone or the shaky camera. If the story is really good, the is it well told can, you know, sometimes you can let that slide a little bit. But a well told story that the story itself is not very interesting, is is ne- is never going to be a great experience. So I, I I do think it's all about story. I think that you can take the same story. And the, you know, is it well told part, that's where you're getting into, this is where you can use different genres, you can use different Um, shooting techniques, you can do all sorts of creative things to take what may even be a familiar story and present it in a new and creative way.
0: In addition to Q&A's, do you do panels or workshops or uh, are there chances for the people attending the festival to actually talk with the filmmakers? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean,
1: um, as much as possible, we try to bring people to the festival. We can't do that with every film, not least of which, because, you know, they're international films and the filmmakers may not be available. So, our first choice, where possible, is to bring the filmmaker in 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 person, which we're doing in many cases. And we would typically do you know show the film and do you know q and a Q&A or some sort of value-added program afterwards. Sometimes you know it might be a panel discussion. Um, I, I think you know what we've discovered over time is people are most interested in hearing from people that are directly connected with the film, director, writer, actor, producer less interested in hearing about subject matter experts about the information behind the film. But, you know, sometimes we're able to do both. I mean, a good example of that is that that we have a kind of unique situation this year that on um, Saturday, November 4th, we're showing a film called The Story of Annette Zellman. This is a French fiction film that is based off a true story about a couple. She's Jewish. He's not that met in Paris and the parents of the boy. Even though they weren't anti-Semitic per se, they didn't really think that the girl was of the right social class, if you will, to be with their their upper class son. And she was actually, she moved in, in artist circles. She was part of some major artist salons in Paris. And anyway, they the father ends up denouncing her to the Nazis, thinking that it's just going to basically break the relationship up, not that he wanted any harm to come to her. Um, let's just say that that unintended consequences happen. And I'm not giving away too much here because there's a lot more that happens in the film, which is pretty pretty amazing. Um, the filmmaker for this is somebody by the name of Philippe Legay, who's a French director. We worked with him last year on another film that he had. And we're bringing him to Austin to present his film and do a and a afterwards. It coincidentally happens that a new book is being written about that same story. The film isn't directly based off the book, but this book is to do with the exact same story. And that story is called Starcrossed. And it is co-written by an author by the name of Heather Dune McAdam. And as we were programming, that name um, sort of rang a bell with me we realized that we had another film that had been submitted to us by Heather Dune McAdam, and there's probably not too many of them in the world. <laughs> and um, it was a film called 999, The Forgotten Girls of the Holocaust. And it's a pretty amazing drama. Sorry, I beg your pardon, documentary about the first thousand girls who were sent from Slovakia to Germany to nominally work in a factory there who all ended up in Auschwitz. And you know, one of the questions is like, why a thousand? You know, it turns out the German, some Germans were into numerology and astrology in extraordinary ways. She had actually written a book about this a couple of years ago and uh, interviewed a lot of the survivors from that first transport, those that, those that still remain. And she turned this into her uh, feature film debut. Oh, so wow. now that you understand who the players are, let me tell you a little bit about what we're doing programming wise. So we're going to have a free showing of her film nine nine nine. It's actually a sneak peek. It has isn't even had its premiere yet uh, at four o'clock on Saturday, November 4th. After that, we are going to have somebody from our local book series who's going to do a special event with Heather and interview her about both books, the one behind nine 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 and the one that's um, about the same story as the story of Annette Zellman. We're then going to have a free reception with kolaches and beer and live klezmer music, and then in the evening we're going to show the story of Annette Zellman. And afterwards we'll have a panel with the director and with Heather. So you know that's that's probably one of the more involved uh, programming situations we've had. But you know it was a situation where sort of stars aligned, if you will. But we've done you know to answer your question about panels, we we did uh, something else that just comes to mind as part of our AGFF three sixty five program, we showed a documentary earlier this year called Converts, and that particular film was about people at various ages and stages, different parts of the world, different denominations of Judaism, who were interested in converting. Some complete the process, some don't, some are doing it for one reason, some are doing it for another. So we showed that film, and we ended up doing a panel discussion with Um, five rabbis from local congregations representing all different dimensions. And it was a really fascinating thing. And um, I've also learned that if you ever want to really increase the degree of difficulty of doing a program, try scheduling five rabbis to be in the same place at the same time.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, I want to jump over to um, a question we get a lot from, from young filmmakers, filmmakers are always trying to get into, you know, good festivals and there's so many, you go to film freeway, there's like 6 billion festivals out there. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's overwhelming for people who are just starting out making their first film or their second film or short film. So I'm curious if you have any advice for aspiring filmmakers on what they can do to, you know, kind of rise above the noise with their projects. And I, and I know obviously making a good film is number one. Yeah. But, is there? You no, know I know, it, I know. I mean, there's there's lots of great
1: films that just don't get the sort of attention they should. Yeah,
0: I mean, is it the right press kit? Is it the right? I, what do you think? I mean, how how do how do you notice films that that seem to just pop up yeah. out of nowhere? So, I guess so, is what I'm so, trying so, to ask. You know, how,
1: how do things sort of pop up and and, and get more noticeable? I think right. there's a couple of things I would say, and I have a love hate relationship with film freeway. <laughs> and the, the, the first thing I would say is do your research we first year we used film freeway. We made everything free and we put out the shingle and we described very clearly what our criteria were that, you know, we talked about at the top of the the interview. Right. And we started getting just all sorts of submissions and, you know, we're taking our time and looking through this and going, there is absolutely nothing that fits our criteria. Interesting. But, and, you know, we realized, okay, so these young filmmakers, um, they're just taking a shotgun approach. They're, 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 applying to every single festival they possibly can and you know that's just wasting our time quite frankly you and, know
0: and wasting their time too to be honest
1: well you yeah know. and and also you know i mean time is money so at the end of the day they're wasting their resources so the first thing i would say is do your research you know not every film is for every festival so um you know if your film is look at the criteria that the festivals have and if your film is appropriate submit it and if you're not sure ask a question that that's one thing i would say the second thing is i think it's always good to have a strategy i mean most film i remember a young filmmaker that we had who came to our festival who said you know making the fil- you know coming up with the idea is the easy part after that everything is problem solving <laughs> fundraising <laughs> shooting distributing marketing and it and it's a grind and right. you know, I'm I'm a professional videographer myself. There's lots of people I meet, you know, who love photography and think, you know, I I might like to be a professional photographer. Well, guess what, you know, pressing the shutter button is a very small portion of what a professional photographer
0: does, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, and also, you know, uh, taking artistic pictures—that's one thing. It's a great hobby, but trying to make a living out of it—that's you know that that's a very different thing. So right. I think have a realistic expectation. You know, don't just imagine that the world is going to come knocking to your door and think that, you know, you've created the next great, great movie. What is your marketing strategy going to be? I think networking is incredibly important. Meet people and the people you meet, if they have some relevance to what you're doing or they know other people, ask them to introduce you. Um, One of the things that, that just amazes me is for our own festival, the sort of connections that we've built up over the years and how those come back later on in ways that you didn't expect are incredibly valuable. So, I mean, this is just sort of basic business sense, if you will. Um, I think also in your, in your budget, keep some money for uh, beyond the production side of things for marketing your, your film. I think that, um, you know, there's obviously different strategies. There is the independent strategy. There is going to distributors. There's, um, you know, uh trying to sell it to streamers, etc., etc. um But I think that for most people that don't have a, a ton of money, do make sure you do your work. Once you've made the film, to your point, make a good press package. It is incredibly frustrating for me. You know, most young filmmakers, they're starting with shorts, right? Right. Um, And one of the things that's incredibly frustrating for me is we hear about a short and we go and try and find the short and we just can't find, you know, where to get that short, who to contact. I mean, you know, sometimes we can contact a partner festival that's maybe shown that short and um, they can help us, but, you know, get on IMDb and create a profile for your film. Um, Make sure that you put your contact information, you know, if you need to set up a different email address, cause you don't want to get tons of email coming to your personal email, do that, you know, make a, make an email that, that relates to your film at, at gmail.com for example. Um, and, and then get it out. I mean, PR and marketing is important. I think that there are people that can help you with that. Some festivals are better than others. Um, but even just going to a festival, being ready to talk to people you know um you meet somebody at a festival you may not get 30 minutes to tell them all about your film so be ready with a 30 second elevator pitch have your press kit as a single sheet you know in your 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 backpack or on your your uh or have a card ready or be ready to share the con you know the information digitally as to anybody that you meet that is relevant um and go to festivals i mean i think apart from just the people you meet, you're going to learn things. I mean, you're going, to, you're going to see what other filmmakers are doing. You're going to see what what seems to be success, and you can certainly ask, that, you know, who is who's responsible for programming, and even chat to them and say, look, you know, what's your criteria? I'm a young. I mean, I, I talk to every young filmmaker that asks for my time. I mean, I understand it's a hard slog, and I try to give them, you know, um, candid advice. We're still going to not automatically say, yeah, we'll show your film. We, I mean, our first step is always, excuse me, get me a copy of your film. We'll look at it and we'll see what we think.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, David, this has been fun. Uh, you've got a lot of great advice. The film festival is going strong for over 20 years. Um, and we will look forward to uh, many more years of great uh, programming at your festival. So uh, break a leg this weekend at the festival and um, yeah, circle back and, and chat with us again sometime. Right, And we'd love to see you back at the festival again, Jeff. Thank you for listening to the Filmmaker Mixer Podcast, a podcast created and hosted by filmmakers Jeff Stolen and Andrew Lamping and produced by Melody Lopez. Our theme song was composed by Stephen D. Bennett. Make sure to follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on and stay tuned for future episodes.